All right. He is here. There he is. Damn. Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear to places to dive into news. Episode 479 is recorded live January 21st, 2021. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Chilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Where we do have ice growing. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well. Enjoyed the blue skies today and the melting snow. Yeah, it was a, it was a little warm. The wind was blowing and it was above freezing. But we also had a few nights there where it was down in the 20s, at least by my house. Well, it's supposed to be freezing again tonight. But uh, it doesn't look like we're going to have a sustained cold freeze to, to really get some depth out there unless you go north. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think if you're in the Upper Peninsula or maybe even a little bit inland, you've got some ice going. Uh, newspaper this last week showed ice fishermen on the lake. Uh, no uh, comment on how thick the ice really was. Yeah, no drowning jet anyway. Well, that's always good. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news for this week. First article up is Archaeological Breakthrough Discovery of World War II Shipwreck Unveiled Hidden Secrets. And I'm sure we've probably covered this one one way or another. Uh, researchers have discovered the Austrian freighter SS Wollenbar II when it was discovered off the east coast of Australia near the town of Crescent Head. In the state of New South Wales, a ship sank during World War II in 1943 when it was struck by two torpedoes fired by Japanese submarines. The attack killed 32 of the 27 crew on board, but the five survivors were rescued by fishermen. Tom, uh, Tom and Claude Rodel, Rodley, Radley uh, taken to port. We call it Port M. Is that, that could be Mac Choir? Located 240 miles north of Sydney, SS Wollenbar was one of the number of ships lost off the Australia's east coast. North South, Wales, North South Wales Acting Minister for Veterans uh, Jeff Lee was pleased with the discovery as it highlighted the history historical significance of the ship. He said in April, we had just commemorative of our brave soldiers on Anzac Day, but also important to remember the toil of war for everyday Australians. The secret has been hidden at the bottom of the deep sea for decades, and the find will give some closure to descendants and relatives of 32 people who lost their lives. Local politician Melinda Pavey said the find unveiled new information which helped solve World War II mystery. So it's Australian. I, I want to say Austria for some reason. Huh. They didn't show a whole lot of photos. That photo, a short, a shark swimming through the wreck. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe just loading here. That's another nice photo of it, though. Uh, historical photo. 
Oh, this is weird. Yes. No, I'm just trying to figure out how I can send you some shots of the above. Oh, okay. I went to a different site and I can't get it. Yeah. Oh, son of a gun. Yeah, they said the director of heritage operations at uh, Heritage North South Wales, Tim Smith, said Discovery should reveal some amazing stories. He said he wants relatives of those who sailed on the SS Woolen Bar 2 to get in contact so they can share the findings of the survey conducted by archaeologists. Part of the British Empire, Australia was one of the first nations to declare war on Nazi Germany. And between 1939 and 1945, nearly one million Australian men and women served in what was going to be World War II. They fought in campaigns against Axis power across Europe, the Mediterranean, North Africa. The Japanese Navy launched some of its famous attacks on Pearl Harbor in 1941, bringing Australia into the conflict with Japan as well. So Australia, if is that a typo? Did Australia come in against Japan because of Pearl Harbor on the U.S.? I don't know if it came in then, but uh, they were hotly involved. And if you look at all the the islands the Japanese were hopping around, mm-hmm. uh, there were some conflicts around the Australian coast. Yeah, but said- I do not remember the the date for that yeah they said during the war australian mainland was also attacked direct directly by enemy forces japanese military launch bombing attack on northern australia also hit sydney harbor with submarines at the time of german defeat the japanese surrender thirty nine thousand australians had lost their lives another thirty thousand had been taken prisoner the wallen bar two was a single crew steamship owned by north coast steam navigation company limited at 2,239 tons and 87 meters in length, the vessel had been built in Lithgow Limited Shipyard at Port Glasgow, Scotland in 1922. Woolen Bar 2 was built to replace the earlier steamer of the same name, wrecked at uh, Billingill Beach, Byron Bay in 1921. Oh, let me take a look. It looks like you, you maybe had some photos in there. I think so. Yeah, for those in the chat room, the photos are in the general text. Uh, hadn't seen that one, uh, the bottom one with it steaming. Uh, a nice side scan. And then another fo- good photo of it on the surface. Well, those photos are hard to tell. It's the same wreck. Uh, same wreck, same vessel. Different perspective, yeah. Same vessel on the big ones. Yeah, because when you look at it from the stern, it looks more, you know, passenger-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and you take we... a look at the stacks and the rigging. And then the last picture is one of the, an ROV picture they took. Lots of debris on the bottom. That would be a wonderful place to go rummaging through. Ooh, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't you? That'd be, that'd be great to do. Uh, it, it's kind of dark in that photo. They Did they say how, they didn't say how deep it was. Nope, that uh, was taken by, uh, it said, Australian ROV footage 2019. That's if there's got any more like that. Yeah, Yeah, these are dark. This is another picture that I had put in from the ROV. Yeah, dark kind of leads me to believe that's a little bit deep. You can see how it's really screwed up in the middle, though, can't you? On that yeah. last picture. 
Yeah, it, it uh, took a little damage there. Yeah. Either before it went down or after. I was trying to figure out how deep that was. And it d didn't say it on the site that you had. Correct? Yeah, I, I didn't see anything. I'm going to guess, based on the photos, 250 could be deeper. Oh, you're using an ROV. I don't know. I mean, I'd say it's shallower than 500. I'm saying uh, U.S. feet, not meters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, meters, I would say, my guess is probably 200 meters. Yeah, that was April of this year. That's, that's darn recent. Yeah. Well, they've had quite a few lockdowns, so uh, it's got to be hard to, to get time to go down there. Unless once you get out, then, then they, they can't spew. We've left port. Yeah. Yeah, you're out of luck. Here's then, a different picture from a different uh, site. Let's see if I can go back here. That's one advantage when you're reading. I can maybe sometime go around and look at something. Yeah. Oh, New South Wales. I'm sorry, Derek. Yeah, that's correct. I probably said North South Wales. <laughs> Which which really isn't a compass heading, is it? That's kind of like left right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Those Yankees, they can't get it right. Well, this next article we have is out of G Captain, Gcaptain dot com. Uh, it's an editorial, as as they have it marked, and they're talking about how our shipwrecks found and protected in United States waters. So let's read parts of this and see if we agree it says uh, shipwrecks are stuff of epic tales and imagination some sunken battles some in transit they were war machines whalers luxury cruise liners their doomed crew and passengers became legends rich and poor from gilded age millionaires luxurate was that luxurating luxuriating maybe that's what it should be out pronounced at sea to sailors and deckhands in service of their country but how are they found and protected in United States waters? Shipwrecks have been honored in story and song through the centuries, from the Esmond Fitzgerald to Gordon Longfoot's Lightfoot's song to, okay, yeah, we've got it. Let's, yeah, there's a bunch of them. Okay, after we get through the pros, Noah protects the wrecks when the shipwreck falls in sanctuary waters. Noah is responsible for preserving and protecting shipwrecks uh, and their artifacts on behalf of the country's marine heritage. That's not true, is it? I mean, it's, it's that seems a little okay. It says when wreck when wreck sites fall in sanctuary waters. So, I'm on the board of a. Well, it's preserved, so I guess it's not sanctuary. So I, I yeah, I, the I, I mean, is it, yeah. So is. Does Noah have controls of all sanctuaries? Is sanctuary specific wording for Noah? No, because in Michigan we have underwater preserves. We also have a Noah, what I would call Noah preserve, but they have no jurisdiction on any of the others, as far as I'm aware. 
Well, if Noah finds something in the middle of the Atlantic at 3,000 feet, no, they do not have control over that wreck. Yeah. Uh, some wrecks still hold the remains of passengers and sailors. Navy wrecks are protected under the Sunken Military Craft Act. Foreign vessels are protected under international law as grave sites. Well, not if not if nobody died on them, would they be? Well, Scapa Bay were scuttled. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I was open to diving. Uh, did anybody die on them other than divers? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but all sunken ships are window to another time, another age, with ironclads fought, enemy submarines prowled the coast. Wow, is this somebody who wanted to get their literary on here? Um, Noah discovers shipwrecks. How Noah discovers shipwrecks. Sometimes in the case of famous Civil War ironclad USS Monitor off North Carolina, the USS Bugara in the U.S. Navy submarine that received three battle stars for its service in World War II. We know where shipwrecks are. The number of Allied ships sunk during World War II in the Battle of Atlantic discovered in a proposed expansion area of the National Monitor National Marine Sanctuary that lies off North Carolina coast. For instance, NOAA, Navy, and private industry use remotely operated vehicle, kind of robot, to locate the USS Independence. Um, wow. By this, must be getting paid by the word. Once a shipwreck is located, historians and archaeologists enter the scene. But this is, this is kind of like an idealized version of how they think this works. Yes. And I'm not saying that it doesn't, it can't occasionally work this way. But I think I'd like to take a little bit different tact and say that Noah, by and far, is not discovering most of the wrecks. Most of the wrecks are discovered by R, by other sources. Uh, Noah does have some funding that they do for uh, different organizations and vessels. They do have their own vessels. They do run some preserves, but uh, they're not they're not solo in finding these. Uh, Noah protects shipwrecks for other reasons as well. Sometimes second vessels scattered propose oil pollution threat, which I, th uh, working with the U S coast guard. Wow. I won't say he has Noah stock. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. It goes on and on. Yeah. We'll have links to show notes if you want to follow this, but. The key keynote you got to remember is, first of all, a marine sanctuary is a general type of marine protected area. Okay. Yes. And, and what they call an MPA, it's a section of the ocean where a government, not necessarily ours, but a government has placed limits on human activity. Now, different types of marine protected areas allow different types of activities such as scientific research, recreation, commercial fishing. Key item is, they all bring in money for some reason or the other to that government. It was not an issue until the latter part of after the 1900s when people could start diving to the depth and recover items for monetary and for, for monetary rewards. Now, it's also note or important to note that these marine protected agencies or areas have different names in different countries. And the restrictions on the extra active activities dictated by the marine protection legislation of those countries, it all varies. So, and they, they gave some examples like marine sanctuary in the USA allows fishing, 
but in Ecuador, you can't fish in that area. Um, sanctuary waters can also provide a secure habitat for endangered species, like some areas where the whales mate. Many of the governments have said, you can't whale in that area and we'll stop you from doing so. Uh, sanctuaries are used to protect shipwrecks or historic artifacts or historic sites. And they consider them outdoor classrooms for kids and laboratories and researchers. And uh, the bottom line is they said is to understand, which we all would like to do, and protect the ocean environment. Uh, sanctuaries also protect economically important fisheries. Again, you're doing a lot of this because it's going to save you money or give you money. And that's why most of the governments want it. It's a way of making money. Protection is great, but they're not doing it out of the you know altruism. They're, they're getting something out of it. Yeah, I agree. I think that's why they do it. Now, when they were in the 1800s, clamshelling wrecks. Uh, now, most of the, the clamshelling was being done by the people who owned the wreck or had the recovery rights to it. It all depends on where the wreck is and how much money is it worth to either leave it alone or take it apart. Yeah. And you notice we haven't heard about those. Remember those, uh, we, we talked about them a year and a half ago. They had some nice wrecks out there in Asian waters and then they disappeared. And they had these mysterious three ships that were out there and mm -hmm. they would take apart and totally remove those wrecks. Well, I, I don't know if we talked about it in the show, but I did do a little bit of research on, on some of those. And there's been some nice articles. If you Google it, uh, I think the, the, if you do Google, why are old ship, uh, steel shipwrecks disappearing? And, uh, I don't know, Mac, I guess I, I, I can ask you just as a, as a question, do you know what the reason is? No, I am very curious to see what they say the reason is. Well, the reason is, is because of the value of the steel, any pre-atomic bomb uh, vessel, meaning it was below the water before the atomic weapons went off or the steel was made, is worth more because it can be used in extremely sensitive scientific equipment. Uh, any steel currently being made is going to be altered and have different properties than that steel because it's made after the uh, age of atomic weapons. So That's I'm, interesting. You know, so to kind of go with your thing of there's value, I am sure that there are certain governments who have are deliberately looking a blind eye at it. Maybe not the ones who should be protecting it, but the ones of where these vessels who are doing the because it's it's not as we talked before that that's not your amateur hobbyist now you just don't do a little uh uh magnet fishing and pull up a you know battleship plate <laughs> right you, but you, but it is all economics i mean yeah. look at that ship that had all the explosives on it it's been there since the war all right they will only remove it when it becomes a danger meaning economically to that government or to that area that lives in front of it. Yeah. Yep. So it's never a problem until it's a problem. 
Well, here's another way of finding some shipwrecks. Uh, Graveyard of the Atlantic reveals multiple shipwrecks at once on the Outer Bank Islands. Three shipwrecks have emerged simultaneously on Hatteras beaches, something locals say is rare on the Outer Bank Islands. Photos of three ship skeletal timbers began showing up on the shipwrecks of the Outer Banks Facebook page last week. The site devoted the tales of graveyards of the Atlantic located off North Carolina. The shipwreck includes the Flambeau, the George A. Kohler, and another often called the Ramp 55 wreck because it sits a half mile south of that ramp. Passing storms are often credited with uncovering shipwrecks, but not in this case. Uh, three at once is a bit of anomaly in getting more rare. Two of the three are subject to disappear overnight. Tour guide Ray Stallings of OBX Beach Shuttle Services told McClatley's McClatchy's News. Wind direction, wind speed, prevailing currents all, all play a role in creating erosion, which is what uncovers these links to the past. While it is always exciting to see it, it's in itself sad, meaning we lost a fair amount of sand. The good news is the ocean usually reverses the process, hiding once again. Uh, that is an intriguing part of our past. News of the three wrecks called uh, harassed by history buffs comes just weeks after Stallings brought attention to another wreck found nearby. Gosh, was it Ocracote Island? Identify a shipwreck remains for debate is either the steamship's home lost in 1837 or the Namas lost in 1935 McClatchy news reported it says shipwrecks are often reduced to just rotting timbers and rusting bolts are part of the lures of the state constantly shifting barrier islands which border the section of the ocean known as the graveyard of the Atlantic waters host more than 2000 shipwrecks dating to the arrival of European centuries ago uh, outerbanks.com's report. So, and there's some the ships. The article, the ships, the articles are about. I just posted five of the pictures. You can see uh -huh. they're shallow, close to shore, and the weather is going to cover them and uncover them. It came from the Outer Banks, North Carolina. Yeah, showing the wrecks in that area that we have been talking about the last couple of weeks, uh, one where they were digging out, you know, you could see the bluff was eight feet tall where mm -hmm. the erosion of the beaches is taking place. But yeah. this is typical of what they're finding. Yeah. Cause they're going to move around. So as the currents and winds and everything moves one way, it protects and grows sand in one area and then loses sand in another. And that's typical of some of the wrecks that they don't care to move right now because it's not worth somebody's money. I just posted. Yeah. That's also in the same area. Okay. I'm watching my little Discord squares dance around for it to load. It's still interesting. I like to see pictures of it. Yes. Uh, just how many different ways has man come up with to uh, put together wood and steel to float across the oceans? Oh, that uh, that's a, it's a, like a little cargo hauler there, that last one. It does look like that. Almost looks like the one up in Duncan Bay, doesn't it? <laughs> the <Yeah>. car hauler? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there's just some timbers. 
Oh, that's neat. Uh, and then let's see, here we go to express.co.uk. Robotic jellyfish designed to help scour shipwrecks of the deep. Uh, archaeologist experts could soon be aided by robotic jellyfish developed by British researchers to scan the ocean depths and help examine shipwrecks that have been lost for centuries. For this reason, experts at the University of Southampton in Edinburgh modeled the creation around the sea creature. The underwater robot, much like the jellyfish, uses resonance for propulsion. Resonance refers to large vibration, which occur when applying force in the ideal pressure, like pushing a child in a swing. Technique requires very little power, but can generate large thrust to push itself forward when the momentum is right. Scientists at the University of Southampton mimic the resonance technique of the jellyfish by creating rubber membranes exploding enclosing eight 3D-printed flexible ribs, which together form a propulsive bell. Tiny propulsion at the head of the robot it, uh, hits a bell rapidly, causing the rubber membrane to vibrate, which creates the thrust. The latest tests show that this way of swimming for a robot is up to 50 times more efficient than typical small underwater vehicles powered by propellers. Co-author Dr. Francisco uh, Giorgio Senchi lecturer and chancellor's fellow at the School of Engineering, University of Edinburgh. The fascination of organisms such as squid, jellyfish, octopuses have been growing enormously because of the qu quite unique and their lack of supportive skeletal structures does not prevent them from outstanding feats of swimming. Co-author uh, Thierry Bajard of Master's Students at Naval Architecture University of Southampton, who designs and built the robot, said previous attempts at propelling underwater robots with jet jetting systems have involved pushing water through rigid tubes, but we wanted to take it further, so we brought the elasticity and resonance to mimic biology. I was really surprised by the results. I was confident the design would work, but the efficiency of the robot is much greater than I expected. Dr. Gabriel Waymonth of uh, Professor of University School of Engineering added, the great thing about using resonance is that we can achieve large vibrations of propulsive bell with very small amounts of power. We just need to poke it out of a shape and let elasticity and inertia do the rest. This has allowed us to unlock efficiency of propulsion used by sea creatures that use jets to swim. Last decade has seen a surge in research on flexible biology-inspired robots such as Boston Dynamics' Big Dog. Uh, I think a different type of flexibility uh, because it can be much more versatile than standard industrial robots. Research demonstrates the concepts that can also be applied to underwater robots. There are still main, many challenges, exciting possibilities to explore with soft underwater robot technologies. We are now looking to extend the concept beyond the robot to fully maneuverable autonomous underwater vehicles capable of sensing and navigating its environment. I mean, nature, they need to optimize energy to the utmost degree, and it makes sense that they would uh, go to something that's this efficient. They got a long way to go, though. Oh, yeah. And we don't necessarily have the same criteria. I mean, I mean, a lot of the, you know, a jellyfish needs to eat and needs to avoid being eaten. You know, well, we don't want our ROV being eaten. If it does, you know, it's not quite as tragic. 
Uh, well, it's, it's an interesting item. Do you realize why sea turtles are finding that when they take them up and then they find out what they've been eating and they say they're, they're die because they're eating plastic? Did you know why they found out why the sea turtles are eating the plastic? No, but if I had to guess, I would say because it looks like their normal food. No. It They do it because of the smell. And when they you get that plastic and it's chopped up, especially when it is chopped up, it gets a film on it of vegetation and algae. Oh. And they smell it. And it's like, well, there's food. It just so happens to be attached to plastic. Uh so the plastic's the, the what the food's growing on. And it's a carrier, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, al algae works better when it can attach to something. And to find it free-floating, if you've got a bed of al or a bed of plastic, mm. that would sound, especially on the surface, you know how that with the sunlight, how slimy it gets? Yeah. So it's not necessarily, it's not by accident they're eating it. It's yeah. because they don't realize that part of what they're eating ain't digestible. I don't know if we talked about in the show, but I'd been uh, reading some articles about there's a company that's got a uh, plastic. It's it's able to, like if you use it for a container at home and it's contains in a liquid or whatever object on a shelf, it, it lasts for quite a while. But if you put in the ground, uh, in less than a year, the ground, the bacteria in the ground will have dissolved it. I've seen that one, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's one of those right now. the The cost to fabricate it and utilize it appears to be a little more expensive than not. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those things that it, it needs a little bit of support because enough people using it, and it would eventually, you know, the cost would come down. It may always be a little bit more expensive, but uh, there's a lot of industry in the restaurant in a lot of interest in the restaurant industry in the beverages consumer goods uh because oh, yeah. you're seeing a lot of consumer goods are being marketed to what's the story of the product so when it comes to you know plastic is continues to get a, a negative uh image so if you can say well you know we're we're doing this that has a marketing value which can offset the increased cost yeah Well, there we go. That does it for Scuba in the News for this week. We didn't have a whole lot of articles and kind of in that that dead time between seasons. I'm, and I'm a little bit of surprised because the Southern Hemisphere should be prime diving weather right now. Uh, Everybody's got to, COVID. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah well, that's true. It it's yeah, making a hell of an impact. Uh, yep. Uh, Speaking of local activities, if, if I don't think I've I've seen anybody doing anything. There was some talk this last weekend, but did anybody get out? Not as far as I know. I know I did not. Larry and I have, it's either something comes up for him or something comes up for me because we plan to get out this weekend. It just didn't happen. Yeah. And it's hard to believe that January is freaking almost over. It is, which it means we're, we're, we're getting closer to spring. I just want when spring when spring gets here, I want to be able to go do a dive and then eat at a restaurant. Well, yeah, and it's not quite to the part that we can go out at six o'clock and get a dive in yet, but uh no. You know what? It's still Days dark at six. Longer. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, I give you a choice. We can do uh, lessons for life first, or we can talk about a very intriguing question. At least I have. Well, let's on... do the lessons for. Okay. Let me yeah. move my stuff over here so I can yeah, read it. Uh, I was going to say, because that that's the other, I, I'm guessing, could go on for a while. <laughs> well, it, it's one of those items I keep saying, I wish we'd hear from some people. You uh -huh. know, it'd be nice to get some feedback. So maybe instead of doing news, we can do a discussion. This is what we talked about. This is yep. what we found out. And this is what people think. But we'll go to seven uh, lessons for life. And this is the one you hate to hear about. Diver drowns with full tank of air. Ann and Bill were getting, really getting into scuba diving. It was everything they had imagined it would be and more. They were diving to the local quarry. Conditions were overall were very, very good. When they reached the platform 60 feet down, Ann noticed Bill was having trouble with his weight belt and moved in to help him. She did not expect it to be a problem. Diving with the belt and his gear, Bill twisted to one side and knocked Ann's regulator from her mouth. Things went downhill from there. The divers. The new diver, 24-year-old Anne, was in good health. She had made 15 dives total, including four for, from her initial certification seven months earlier. She tried to get the local quarry to the local quarry every month to keep practicing her dive buddy, Bill, whom she met in class. They'd become fast friends, and Anne was happy to have a dive buddy with similar experience level and interest. They're both excited about dive travel opportunities and taking additional training. Both divers were using a mix of rented and personal gear. They were buying pieces as they could afford it. Dive. Conditions that morning were comparable to what they'd learned in. The water was cool, typical for end of the dive season, and Ann and Bill were able to wear their normal wetsuits. They planned to make a typical dive for the quarry. They were going to swim down to a marker buoy from the surface, descend to a platform 60 feet down, from there, they planned to work their way to shallower water, exploring some of the sunken attractions in the quarry. They had made the same basic dive several times before. The accident. When Ann and Bill arrived at the platform, Ann noticed Bill was having trouble with his weight. He immediately kneeled on the platform, trying to get things under control. After watching Bill struggle for a minute, she moved close to try to help him. She was getting cold from sitting still on the platform and wanted to move the dive along. Bill's BC was loose and moving out of place as he tried to get the weight belt buckled and approached Bill as he twisted to the side, slinging his BC around. A sudden movement knocked Ann's regulator from her mouth. Realizing what had happened, Bill immediately tried to help Ann recover her regulator. In the process of helping her, his weight belt came loose and dropped to the swim platform behind him. Bill immediately began floating towards the surface, and his weight belt was way out of range before he realized it. He began struggling to get back to the bottom, but in the process, Bill lost the fin, his tank came loose from his BC, and he ascended all the way to the surface and was unable to descend again. When he realized Ann was not right behind him, he signaled to the shore for help. Two divers responded quickly, but they did not find Ann for 15 minutes. When they finally located her, she was found unconscious, her regulator still out of her mouth. On the surface, rescuers began resuscitation efforts, but they were unsuccessful. Autopsy indicated she had drowned. On the face of it, it might suggest a dive accident was caused by dive equipment. The accident was caused by the failure to properly use the equipment and respond to the problem. 
the medical director of Tobamore Hyperbaric Facility in Canada was talking about diving. He said, we're not able to document a single case in which equipment failure directly caused a diver's death or injury. It has been the diver's response to the problem that resulted in the pathology. Every diver has had a problem with a piece of equipment one time or another. As the saying goes, if you haven't had a problem, you aren't diving enough. The key to the problem is problem management, to respond quickly and calmly and move on. Losing control is the key to making a simple problem escalate into a larger one. Bill was growing frustrated with his weight belt and probably a little nervous. He was so fixated on the problem, he did not see Ann coming to help. When she tried to help, his jerky movements knocked a regulator from her mouth. At this point, both divers are having problems, but neither problem was insurmountable. Ann could have moved back, recovered a regulator, and signaled Bill to stop so she could help him. That did not happen. A reoccurring theme in this column is human reaction of panic. When panic sets in, so do perceptional narrowing and tunnel vision. This eliminates or limits your reactions, keeping you from calmly thinking about a problem. And in both, and Bill both panicked. She failed to recover her regulator, something every diver learns to do, and then failed to make an emergency ascent to the surface. Instead, she simply froze on the bottom and drowned with mostly full supply of air on her back. Bill panicked when he lost his weight belt, and his efforts to get back down to the bottom grew more and more erratic, causing him to lose a fin, dislodge his tank. Many divers never practice the emergency skills they learned during initial training. They do not review recovering a lost regulator or removing and replacing their weight belts. Both skills could have saved the dive, allowing both divers to continue after just a brief interruption. It easily could turn out to be something to laugh about later, a minor blip. It is possible Lan and Bill were using unfamiliar equipment because some of their gear was rented. rented. And that is the case, it's even more important to take a few minutes at the beginning of the dive to review your equipment and your buddies to make sure you both know how everything is located, how it works. And drowned on the bottom of the core with plenty of air in a scuba tank. Drowning does not always mean the person inhaled large quantities of water. Often the drowning victim only inhales a teaspoon. This causes the larynx to spasm and close and that involuntary reaction causes suffocation. The autopsy did not include the details of Anne's lungs, but it's possible that in her panic, she inhaled a splash of water and lost consciousness. If she had had a larynx of spasm, it would have made it impossible for her to take a breath. So the lessons for life are, practice your emergency skills. Take the time to practice emergency skills regularly. This includes mask removal, replacement, and recovery of the regulator. These basic skills can turn a potential disaster into a minor problem that will not end the dive. Also, be familiar with your equipment. Whether you're diving with someone new or rented gear, be familiar with your equipment and know it works before you go. And take a breath. When problems arise, stop for a moment, take a breath, think of how to handle the problem, then act. It could save your life. So it's bad to think, though, that you drowned with a full tank of air on the back. Oh, it is. Well, Karen in the chat room was saying she almost wondered if she got hit in the head or stunned or knocked out. 
and that's it doesn't show that and it didn't say if they just had water on the lungs then they would have known she breathed as opposed to having her larynx close up right uh but it's it sounded just because of a combination of items that maybe they weren't the most experienced uh, it sounds like they had very few dives overall because i said yeah. they're relatively new yeah yeah so that's a little bit of it because i mean what one of the things is make sure you've got your gear all positioned before you get in the water now i've i've gotten in the water and yeah maybe your tank shifted a little bit you know as you're especially when you're diving with a dry suit and moisture gets in and things move around you have to tighten up but uh don't feel like you have to move while you're doing that yeah it sounded like they were at a platform so you could have stayed yeah. on the platform, yeah. gotten everything in position. And then if, if after a certain amount of time you can't, call the dive, come on up. I remember going around Singer Lake where we're going at the north end. And we traversed from one side to the other doing the bottom sweep. And I kept wondering, why is my regular day tugging out of my mouth? And I reached around. My freaking strap, strap had come undone and it was falling out the bottom. So I basically got the tank bring it back up. I got it under my armpit. I'm, I'm swimming with my tank. But the key item is, one, it didn't pull my regulator out. So that made a would have made a big difference. This was before BCs also. Mm -hmm. But the key item, it was like it happened slowly, not suddenly. And that probably is what did not make me panic or anything. I sometimes wonder what if it had yanked my regulator out and I didn't have the BC back in those days, what would I have done? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had, uh, it, it was one of my first, probably maybe about 10th dive, definitely less than my first 20. Uh, Jim Kleeman and I were up there in uh, Eleni Bay and hunting for bottles. And, uh, you know, visibility was really bad. We were trying to keep real close to each other. And I had grabbed onto an anchor. Uh, I was trying to bring it up. And then he noticed that I was falling behind. And for some reason, he thought I was having a problem. And he, he went to grab for me. And then he was starting to tug me. You know, he, th he thought that I had gotten stuck or snagged. So he was trying to pull me to the surface. And then the process knocked my regulator out. So... Uh, you know, we were in 20 feet of water, came up, but we, we had a laugh about it afterwards, but it was kind of like trying to help each other kind of exasperated the, the situation. Mm -hmm. Well, that brings about an item here that I, I was reading during the week, and it's called Diver and Instructor Fitness. Now, this is from a letter written to the editor of Undercurrent, and I'm going to read the letter, and let's talk about it when I'm done. Dear Undercurrent, there was some important safety information in your excess weight article and uh, that I once questioned when taking the Patty Rescue course in Puget Sound back in 2007 at the age of 53. The course instructor used a dive master who was quite obese and considering the strenuous conditions, it occurred to me that such a diver may not have the stamina to perform a safe rescue. After the class was complete, I asked the instructor about PADI professional requirements on fitness. I was told that being fit and maintaining fitness was one for dive masters and instructors. Assuming from his reply that PADI had some program for validating diver fitness for active professionals like PADI has for liability insurance, 
It was not until 10 years later when I took a Patty Dive Master and instructor course that I discovered that was not the case. Not only that, what constituted fitness in the Patty Professional Standards was a self-evaluation. I believe the Dive Professional Standards should be detailed, codified, and documented, and then verified by the associated organization regularly, just as all licensed pilots do through the FAA. That would include an annual or biannual physical exam with physician statement of approval to dive, preferably from a dive knowledgeable physician, a swim test similar to the professional exams, and basic rescue skills demonstration. I also believe that recreational divers, regardless of the skill level, should have to renew their certification regularly to participate in any professional-led dive excursion. These ideas, if enacted, would go a long way towards really professionalizing scuba diving and giving the recreational diver a strong desire to continue diving regular while enhancing the bottom line for the industry. Most of all, I believe doing such will greatly improve the health, fitness, safety, and confidence of every diver. David Blah Blah, Portland, Oregon. So that yeah. is the comment. Does your scuba certification expire? Well, I looked into that just to find out. And the general answer is no. Scuba certifications do not expire. However, this does vary largely according to the certifying agency for your course. And it's always a good idea to refresh your skills when it comes to keeping yourself and your dive partner safety. Now, recreational scuba cert from PADI never expire. Now your certifications do not expire. Recreational agency SDI and sister technical agency TDI issue student level certifications that do not expire. Now GUE, which is Global Underwater Explorers, their certifications are valid for three years at the student level. This is the case regardless whether they fall under the technical, cave, or recreational category. Global Underwater Explorers, I just heard something. So did we lose somebody or Craig? No, I'm, I'm Heard something there. Sorry about that. Uh, no problem. GUI certifications can be renewed at the end of this period by submitting proof of log dives at your level of training. This renews your certification for the following three years. And the process is repeated unless a higher level of training is completed with the agency within that period. But all certifying agencies strongly suggest and expect divers, all divers, to continue to dive actively and refresh as necessary and use the dive logs to validate this. When traveling, many dive boat charters, dive resorts, dive stores, and instructors will require some evidence of recent diving before taking visiting divers on an open water dive. Without a recent certification, some recent dives in your logbook or in your scuba diving history must be used. So the question is, and I've heard this from other agencies or other people who are not regularly diving, is that all diver certifications should have a termination date unless you have been recertified both physically, meaning having a physical exam saying you're qualified, and a you need to go to a refresher course. I'm curious what people's opinions are. Should you be required to have an annual or biannual or every three-year physical to maintain your certification. 
Oh, I, I think it's a good question. If you have a comment to this, you can go to our Facebook page, www.scubaobsessed.com on Facebook. I said, that's our website, uh, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. You could also go to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com, uh, go into the contact us form and you can put it in there. On Twitter, we're at scuba obsessed. Uh, the show at Scuba Obsessed. And if you try any of those sources and don't hear back or have any contact, try again. Because uh, we didn't get it. I mean, are you looking for my comment or do we want to <laughs> see? I'm curious. What do you think? Do you think? I, I, I look at the frequency with it. Some people dive. And no. it belies the aspect of keeping current. I am kind of like your ultimate DIY guy. Uh, I can remember having a conversation with somebody from Europe years ago and they were shocked that I built my own house and they, they not only were shocked, were appalled and were convinced that I was endangering everybody in my town because I was not a licensed union skilled professional in all the trades and therefore I risked everything. And as, as, yeah, and as a, and as a longtime DIY guy, I'm not claiming I'm as good at, like I'm, I'm doing tile in my kitchen now, first time ever, you know, I'm, I'm past 50, uh, but you know what? It's not that tough. You know, what's the difference between me and a guy who does it? Well, he's done it a lot and he's going to make a lot less mistakes and he's going to do it a heck of a lot quicker. But if time's not important and you know, you have a good eye for something, you can do a fairly decent job you know and i'm i can do electrical as good as most people it's all to code i i follow the uh national electric code uh and, and i reread re it you know i've i've done wiring as recently as a week ago and i've read the 2021 to know what code has changed uh so i kind of use that as a background uh do i think somebody should go diving without training absolutely not i think you need to get some training uh, I think if you go for a while and it's in your best interest, who are we trying to protect here? You know, at first I would say we're trying to protect you, but it's up to you to protect yourself and to realize that you need to refresh it, and there's nothing wrong with that. Should it be ma uh, mandated? I don't think so, but I could see Dan as a insurance insuring agency say, you know what? You can't qualify for Dan insurance if you, haven't done X, Y, or Z at a certain amount of time. It's within their uh, underwriting rights to to do something like that. Uh, it's possible if I'm uh, if I'm running a a cattle boat dive operation that I may have an interest in in having that. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, shipwrecks, and uh, you know that's got to be a financial incentive. The same thing has to go with these these requirements. You know, your dive shop doesn't want to put any more incentive on you because they're desperate to get you diving. Same thing with that cattle boat. Um, do we need government to protect us from ourselves? Uh, I mean, some people probably do, but I'm not going to legislate it. I kind of think Darwin could take care of a lot. Uh, so it's, it's a good idea. Uh, on the physical side of it, uh, kind of a story, go back to, I was a Boy Scout Scoutmaster. 
Uh, as a kid, I remember one of the greatest things that we did is we did the boundary waters between the U S and Canada, and it was considered high adventure. Uh, and you got to go out, uh, real remote. Well, the difference between when I was a student or a, a, a scouter myself and a leader is they had changed the guidelines to that. You know, we used to, as a troop, be able to go out. Now the requirement was that you had to go with a guide. Plus, all the adults that went on the trip had to have a current physical. And if your BMI was over a certain amount, you couldn't go. So I, I was pretty much, as a scout leader, not allowed to do any high adventure, which means uh, camping beyond 20 miles of your home or, or something ridiculous. So uh, it, it's an extreme. I mean, I, BMI does not necessarily mean your health or your ability. You know, they were just looking that for them, it was a liability or PR thing. They didn't want some scout master to get, you know, four days out in the middle of nowhere, have a heart attack. And then the story is kids pulled dead scout master out for four days. <laughs> Good training though. So, uh, yeah, well, yeah, they'd, they'd have a, they, that'd be a hell of a story, wouldn't it? Yeah, they'd be, be telling well, that for a long learned, time. Let me tell you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't don't have a coronary heart attack when you're out there. Uh, you know, there, there's, you know, do I think it should be in a healthy condition? Yes, but, you know, some of us have been trying. You know, we, we, we try. We, you know, I'd love to be, you know, the ideal weight for my age, and but it just hasn't happened. You know, things get in the way, and. You have pandemics and you have other things going on. So not to make excuses, but, uh, are you helping that individual? I mean, diving's a great exercise. I get a lot more exercise by doing diving than, than other cases. You know, how many people die? You know, do we need certain, do we need a uh, fitness test if you're going to shovel your driveway? So, I mean, kind of, kind of my two bits now as an instructor, which I think maybe was another element to that question was, you know, I'm responsible for the health of others. You know, they, they said he was a big guy. Were they saying they don't think he could save him? I mean, do you need to ex exert yourself? I mean, I can see a skinny guy getting winded and being unable to help anybody else just as, as much as a, a heavy guy. Maybe the heavy guy has got more experience and, and is able to provide help in a better, more efficient way. Now, sometimes providing help as a dive master is maybe putting a little bit of air in the BC and calming the diver down. Yep. Do I need to be, uh, you know, a, a physical, uh, prime physical specimen to be able to accomplish that? And I'm sure there's others who have opinions that are different. Well, again, like now the doing the household stuff, anything that doesn't require a code or a permit. And even if it does, as long as you you perform it to the standard, that's not an issue. Yeah. And again, does that mean you can't change a car, a tire on your car? I mean, depend no. on how far you want to take this. Well, it needs a mechanic. Yeah. So it depends on what it is. But again, how did you do this 100 years ago? You did it your freaking self. Yeah. Well, I mean, a little bit of this is is the the industry themselves trying to convince you that you need to pay a member of it. I mean, that's why all these, you know, every industry out there has a trade group, which is to promote that. They're going to take the position that promotes their members because that's what the members are paying them to do. 
Um, when I built my house, it was all permitted. I had to get a permit with the township. Uh, they came out and you got inspected for each of the trades. Yep. Uh, the building inspector came in for the footings. You got the footings inspection. You got the framing inspection, subfloors. I mean, I had to argue with that. I mean, it was it was stamped on the subfloor how thick it was, but he did his little measure, his tape measure. He goes, I don't think that's thick enough. It's like, hey, right there's where it's marked. You're, you don't know how to use that tape measure. Uh, but, you know, you had electrical inspection, a mechanical inspection, you know, roofing inspection. You had all this, all these steps you had to go through and you met the certifications. And sometimes I had to pay for them to come back because there was an item that wasn't wrong. But I also got a, uh, because it was my house I was living in. And that was one of the conditions. Uh, at the time, you could be your own general contractor, but you couldn't sell the house for three years. I've been in the house over 25 years now, built it in 94. So yeah, I guess it went a little longer than that. But I had the uh, plumbing inspector goes, I wish it, I wish everybody ran their plumbing the way you did because I spent, I used extra plumbing to, because we, we get cold winters. I wanted any place I could, I wanted to keep the plumbing as far from the exterior walls possible and the foundation. So, you know, the, when you have a, uh, somebody who you've contracted and they said, we're going to do X trade for this amount of money, uh, you know, they're bidding to be competitive, you know? when you're doing it for yourself, I'm, I'm doing it because I want it done right the way I want it done. So, yeah. And, and, and you got to be your own advocate, uh, for your life and your health. I mean, that, that doesn't change whether it's scuba diving or, you know, COVID-19 or anything else. You've, you've got to do which, which keeps you in the best health and condition as you can. Yeah. Well, I thought it was an interesting article because it has come up before of regulation for divers. Yeah. And look at the attrition rate. Uh, the attrition rate is basically, or it used to be, I haven't looked at it lately, that uh, eight out of 10 divers do not stay in the sport over three years. I'm going to say you could say nine out of 10 divers never do more than 20 dives ever and i actually do think that it's probably more dangerous for somebody who's done less than 20 dives to skip five years and then do a dive yeah well yeah. the old saying is as long as you've got your scuba tank in your closet you're a diver yeah or or you, or you buy the license plate for the front of your car and i pass down the road all the time <laughs> Pet peeves. It's like I it's like I want to pull in front of them, get them out. It's like, okay, show me your logbook. When was the last time you dove? Of course, they hope they don't ask me about my logbook because I haven't I haven't filled it out in a while. Um Yeah. Well, I, uh, it, was, it was still a question I thought I'd bring up in reading that letter. It, it it's one of those, well, what do you think? Yeah. I, personally I think if you're if you stay current inactive and log your dives the question is how many dives should you be doing a year to be considered an active diver is it one a month it's different is it different if you live in the warm or the cold so can you do 12 in four six eight months and not during the winter so what constitutes diving regular i'm, I'm curious about that too and again does that mean i can do it and Looking at the club members, those who are diving with some regularity, 
you start off in the spring shallow and you work your way back to the depth if you're going to do wreck diving. Yep. Yeah. My, my you don't rule. suddenly decide I'm going to go dive whatever at 150 feet. Yes. Uh, my, my rule is always when we start doing the, the Great Lakes dives, and it doesn't matter if I've done no dives over the winter or I've done four ice dives at 60 feet. I always start off the same way on the, the big lake and we start off in a couple shallow wrecks. Uh, and, I, and when I say shallow, I'm meaning less than 60 feet. Yes. Uh, uh, it could be, you know, we, we've done, we've gone out of Michigan city and, uh, that sand sucker. What's that wreck? Uh, the Muskegon. Muskegon. Is that it? That yeah. and the breakwaters. Yep. The breakwaters. Those are a couple of good ones. And the Havana, uh, that's the other one you always do. Havana, which is, which is for some people that might, that might be the deepest wreck they've done, but that's 60 feet, that's still shallow, but I'm not going down to, uh, the, the bottom of recreational depths, which is what I'm certified for on my first or second dive, you know, after yeah, you're about, not going on the Ann Arbor five. Right. And, and a lot of it, like I, I, I said, we've, we've done ice dives, but in ice dives, I'm, I'm geared differently. I'm weighted differently in the river. The same thing. I'm overweighted in the river. When I get out in Lake Michigan, I'm doing a wreck dive. I want the least amount of weight possible. Uh, and I want to have anything. So you want to control your, your variables. What are you changing? And so it's better to do that on a nice, easy dive. You know, that, why not? It's a great dive. It, it's, I, I don't have to, you know, I, I don't want to go all winter not doing a dive. Don't do a dive. Then somebody says, hey, let's do the iron sides at 120 plus and do that for my first dive. Yeah, that's just not doing a lot of sense. You, you're shaking the cobwebs off the gear. You know, do, do you, have you, yeah, it worked when you put it away in September, but uh, do you have a slow leak somewhere? Did uh, mice get in, chew on something? You don't, you don't know. Yeah, did a, did that, a spider that, weave a little web inside your tank valve? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that, that can't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you, you, you know, work it up. So that's what we like to do. You, you start a couple shallow ones, you work your way up and about four or five in. If, if you're feeling comfortable and you've got the experience and the training, then yeah, go ahead and start doing them deeper. But I'm not, you just, no reason to go jump right on into it. Uh, and I think that's why you have some, some uh, locations where they want to see your dive log and see that you get some of those deep dives. They want, they don't, they don't want you to come there and head right to the bottom, your first dive. So good questions. Well, good I, conversations. I know, I know if I were a boat captain, I would be checking your certs, especially if it's a paid boat to make sure that I take you out and I bring you back, you know, alive. And to yes. do that is let me see the frequency of your diving. Cause I don't want them. I don't want problems on my boat. Yeah. Because even well, when they're prepared, you have issues. Right. And that's going to be, that's a difference between, I think, uh, Michigan boats and Florida boats, for example, you know, Michigan boat, when you, when you're that, that's a taxi, <laughs> that boat captain is, he's taking you from port. He's going to, you know, ank find the wreck anchor to it and say, see you when you get up. Where when you start going to Florida, you may have a dive master who goes on and escorts everybody because that's what they're used to. So those are different. Those are even different diving conditions. And even if that was the case, I would want to know what your training is because I don't want to take as a dive master eight newbies out there. Uh, 
you know, I, I might want to mix it up and say, Hey, I got three or four seasoned professionals where I hopefully don't have to hold their hands while I've got these two people who are on their fourth dive. Yeah. Well, it's a good question. I thought, and I I'm curious what people think and food for thought. Yep. So, uh, give us some of that feedback. We'd certainly appreciate it. Um, I, I keep thinking I need to do a, uh, come up with a survey. Um, episodes i'm getting them out edited i'm getting them out there hopefully you're getting some sort of value if you are we certainly could use your support i've just we've 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 put out a bunch of money and i have a bunch more money that we we need to put out to do some things that we've wanted to do here for a while um so if you can do that go to our website www.scubaobsessed.com click on the patreon link three dollars or more gets you early access to the show notes and that certainly helps us out also let us know if there's anything you'd like us to cover. We're going to be experimenting with some different formats. Uh, we may not just do the only just the podcast episode. We may do some more video things and, and some narrower topics on different intervals than what we're doing with our normal long-form rambling craziness that uh, is our Thursday Scuba Obsessed episodes. Well, thanks again to the chat room. Uh, we we lost Eric. He he must have had uh, work or something call on him. But Derek is is in there, and Karen is in there. Uh, Do we get any sea seahorse pictures this week? Did he rub it in again? <laughs> I don't see anything on the line here. No, I did see Derek with some shark teeth. How about that? Yeah, he says it, he, 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 when we started the show, he said he couldn't, it was hard to text because he was uh, driving home from a shark tooth find. So those are, that. look at that shark tooth. Did you see that, Mac? Where's it? No, where's it at? It's in the live show chat. Maybe I'll download it and paste it. In the other uh, one. Let's see. That, that tooth is about as wide as his hand. That is a beautiful shark tooth. A uh, little bit of an edge. I mean, it's not an award winner, and it's got a little bit of the, uh, barnacle on it but i take it <laughs> that's a good one excellent dive and i could just remember the adrenaline and excitement when you come off something like that and it wasn't a heartbreaker either it's mostly all there it's a good job oh mac popped in the other room you back mac hello you there yep yep i just went this i just got all the comments back here now i didn't have those on before Okay. <laughs> All the good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Karen was saying at one point, every charter that she's been on has required a medical questionnaire and a physical certification less than six months old. Well, like I said, some of those dive boats now, if you're over 65, they don't want to take you. Yeah. I've heard that. We had, who is that? We've who went couple down of, there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've, we've had somebody from the dive club and that's like, they should have told you before you drove down to Florida. <laughs> from michigan that's a heck of a drive to to know and he was able to find another operator who'd let him in yeah and i think yeah. the ones that he went on they didn't care what your your if you passed an exam they just didn't want you uh, <laughs> i like derek's comment uh, car owner manuals in the 70s showed you how to adjust your points now they have don't drink the battery acid <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the darn thing is that's freaking true 
It's I, like most people don't even check the air in their spare tire, and some freaking cars don't even have spare tires now. Like like to, today, that, here we are in January. I yeah. had to. Uh, I'm looking at the front of my windshield. The sun's down, so I I, I uh, flip down the sun visor. And I always swear every time I do that, because the whole damn backside of the the visor is nothing but warnings. <laughs> Don't distract me when I'm driving. I can't. I shouldn't be reading all this crap when I'm driving, and it just irritates me. Yeah, it, it's not much better than don't don't drink the battery acid is what they're telling you to do. It, it's that was a good one. I like that, but it's true. Yeah. And I, I, how the hell did people survive? I have been watching well, the, movies at night. I do that. I watch cowboy movies. And I have had some wonderful movies from 1935 to 1950. Some of the old ones. When uh -huh. there have been some, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, have no sex, there is no nudity, no graphic, whatever, and no CGI. But some of those, I have watched them wagon trains the way it really was. And it's like, you have got to be some kind of idiot to want to go 2,000 miles with four horses pulling your wagon. I mean, it's horrible, <laughs> the conditions they were in. And having them come to, to rivers and creeks and having to ford those and coming to a mountain or a cliff and having to make weird contraptions to lower track their, their animals down, including their wagons. People have no clue what those people did. And at 17 year old, you're running a freaking ranch. Yeah. Oh, that's certainly I've, and, and you even see it today. It's not a, it's by far not a normal, but you'll see uh, a teenager who's mature for their age because of responsibility need to have, uh, maybe they've got a single parent and the one parent's working a lot and they take on more or they're the adult in the family. I've seen that a little bit in, in uh, you know, coaching high school activities where, you know, and I, I recently as yesterday, I said, I don't comment on somebody's family because somebody said student A was doing this. You know, why did their parent do this? And I'm like, you know, I can't comment because that's how it is. But there, there are some, some kids who are the adults. Oh. And uh, when, when it comes to what people had to go through, you know, especially 100 years ago or 200 years ago, you have to think of what prompted them to go onto that journey. Were well, I, they, they, either things were that bad or they didn't realize it was going to be that tough. When my, my dad grew up on a farm, uh, I know when he left the farm at 18, he went out and joined the army and the old saying, one of his cousins, you know, cousin, Tom, uh, cousin Carl's going out to get rich. He's going to join the army. It's like, yeah, you're going to get rich <laughs> in the army. You're not. But he showed me one of the, and back then he only had to go to the 10th grade, but he showed me one of the books he used. It was a math book. And it's like, damn. And I'm reading it, and I said, well, what do you, you know, what's an acre? What's a hectare? Well, I said, well, if you're going to do a fence line, you got to know how many poles, how many feet apart they go. So how many poles you're going to need to go fence out five acres? And it's like, well, okay. And then when you build the barn, it had the aspects for geometry because you got to know the angles of the, the roof. And it's like, damn. Yeah. But it was application, and I think that's the difference. They did that because they needed it 
to build their houses, to build their barns, to farm their land, do their tillage. Uh, admiration to those people back in the day. Yeah. Well, you, as a kid, you probably were going, when am I ever going to use this? Because they showed you yeah. how you were going to use it. Yeah. I, I want to have my own farm. You know, the, when the old lady next door dies, the family's going to buy it. And that's where I'm going to set my homestead up. I mean, I, my wife likes to watch the Alaskan people. And now, of course, some of those people <laughs> have got a million freaking dollars of heavy equipment and tractors. And yeah. I mean, I'd like to have that freaking landing craft boat he has. You know, I mean, they're not paupers, but they have a hell of a life out there. I mean, herding the cattle. I mean, that, I can see that nowadays. I wouldn't know how to, I don't know how to take care of a horse. Uh, and the horse I, takes I, care I, of you. I, I've, uh, I canceled my, my cable internet, uh, the cable satellite TV. And I've been subscribing to some of the channels. So I got the Discovery Plus. So I'm able to go through all these different episodes. And one of them is this uh, mine rescue where they go out to all these people who are doing gold mining who don't have a clue. And then this uh, Freddie Dodge who actually knows what the heck he's doing. And he's just super nice about it. That's what you find out. The, the people with the most knowledge tend to also be some of the nicest people out there. And he's, and you know, sometimes they don't want the help and he gives them the help. But, uh, some of these places, people have spent huge amounts of money and you have to think about what did you think you were going to get your return on? I mean, have you, have you calculated how many, you know, how much gold or whatever you're looking for, you have to find to pay that back. Are you looking at Oak Island? You mean? <laughs> Oh, Oak Island. That's a whole nother thing. Well, Oak Island's, uh, I'm disappointed because I, 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 I have some of the, the history channel shows. I just don't have that one. So, uh, eventually it will get on and I'll be able to see it. But I, I, I'm was mid season when I canceled, we canceled at the end of December. So I'm, I'm, I'm having a little bit of Oak Island withdrawal <laughs> because it's a, oh, it's a Bobby Dazzler and it's a top pocket fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just look at some of the items like, well, that looks like a washer. No, that's a that's a Chinese coin. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then when when you talk about the money they're spending, they're they're working with companies that have that's not cheap to bore down what one of those caissons are. No. I mean, just how big that is, and their and their plan. If it wasn't for the pandemic they would have drove down like 20 or 30 of those caissons this season. And then they're doing the pile driving when they, when they did the bay. Oh my gosh. How much of that they did they do? But uh, they're going to find the Templar fortune. That's all I know. Yeah, the, I, they put, they're making money another way. Cause if the Templar fortune is solid gold and it's worth two to one, what normal gold is, they still can't recover the expense that it would be if they paid for everything that was done in that show. Well, if you did find that kind of artifact, though, isn't doesn't that belong to the state or the country? It does. They've they've admitted that. They said that 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 most of what they find they can't keep. That it's it's they've got processes, but yeah, they're 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 doing fine. And Marty, you know, fellow Michigan Marty and his brother are are both in Michigan, and Craig Tester. So good for them. I like to see them do well. Uh, Marty has a winery. I've never had the wine, but I'd love to go up there and visit once the pandemic's over. Uh, so 
I love it when uh, he wears the Michigan hats. Uh, did they ever find the Confederate gold they were looking for here in Lake Michigan? The Confederate gold that didn't yeah, have another season. That then the last episode <laughs> was him pulling up the the painted bricks. <laughs> but they do have another uh, uh, show called Beyond Oak Island, which is kind of interesting. I think you uh, that that one has a little bit of conspiracy things to it, but it, it will go to different parts of the uh, uh, the country, and they'll say, you know, here in this mountain, there's supposed to be gold at this, you know, like the Lost Dutchman mine. They're doing some of that stuff. Oh, the last one I saw was they were out west again at this particular uh, huge, huge farm that had, uh, I won't say extraterrestrial happenings, but other strange phenomena from that. I don't know how that ever went. I never got into it too much. There's something for everybody out there. Yeah. Well, that's what we need to do. We need to find the next other thing. I mean, I love talking about scuba diving, but. There's a bunch of other stuff we could be doing. So (laughs) this year is going to be live streaming. That's what I'm determined. I'm going to figure out. Uh, I want to get one of these uh, satellite dishes where I can talk to all the satellites that are going around and I want to put it in a boat so I can live stream wherever we're at. So that's what I'm going to do. They, they launched another 30 satellites yesterday. So we're getting closer. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what space is doing. My son's getting into it just the right time. You know, it's kind of like my dad got an atomic power when it was po- when it was perfect. I got into computer science at the perfect time, and my son's getting into space. Uh, when Technology. I grow up, I'm gonna figure out what I'm gonna do. But yeah, I don't know. yeah, no, you got a plenty of time. You got at least twenty, thirty years. You can figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. We'll, we'll be brains and jars. We'll be, we'll be operating the matrix from our little remote controls. Alexa, Alexa, do this for me. I did just yeah. buy a iPhone 12, the Max Pro. Oh, you got the iPhone 12? I, wow. I got the I got the big boy. And my yeah. learning curve is horrendous. Well, if you need <laughs> to help never, with that. You know, well, you've never had Kathy an iPhone? No, my cat, Kathy made me get this one because that's what her and my daughter, my other daughter have. Yeah. And this way they can FaceTime. So I've done yeah. the FaceTime. So instead of just calling, I can see what the hell's going on. <laughs> but yeah, my learning curve is going to be interesting. But I want the camera because I take yeah. pictures, a lot of pictures. Well, the, the camera on the iPhones, especially if you get the top of the line for the current year, are some of the best that are out there. Well, that's so, why I got this. I didn't mind spending yeah. it because I wanted to get me another camera. So I just want to get some functional on it, and then the camera is what I want to use. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm an, I'm an app developer, so I, I build for both iOS and Android. Android is a little wacky, but you can customize more. But iPhone's kind of like, I don't want to mess with it. Now, I, I talked my parents into getting an iPhone years ago. And they wouldn't install any apps on it. So now I'm like, it doesn't matter what you get. You're not going to use it. <laughs> so. And I, I very, I don't use a lot of my stuff either. I mean, because yeah. I don't know enough about it. Plus, I'm always afraid of whatever you put out there is out there for everybody to find. Oh, yeah. All your passwords, all your whatever. So yeah. it's like, um, I really do try to minimize what I put, yeah. even on Facebook. And I keep thinking I'm going to quit Facebook, quit Facebook. but. I never do. Well, the thing is, 
we we need a way and and maybe this is something for somebody to the to, to talk in on if there's interest uh, there are alternative social networks we could do, and one we could do on scuba diving. Um, there's a, a system called Mastodon, which is a federated social network, and I could set up a Mastodon server on scuba diving and invite everybody to it. And then you can connect to, you can, and you have complete control. It's the thing is when you look at Twitter or Facebook, there's an, an a logarithm that's determining what it's going to show you. It's the bozo filter. It's going to say, oh, well, you don't like Mac because Mac thinks this. And so, you know, he's going to talk about aircraft and you don't like aircraft. So you're never going to see anything. Even if you're a friend of Mac's, you're not going to see any of those posts because Facebook knows better. Well, when you do one of these other platforms, they don't filter it. So you're going to get his stuff filtered in with everybody else you like. And if he's talking too much. It's up to you to decide not to follow him, not Facebook, because, uh, you know, he told you to go, you know, say this or do that. And so, I mean, and that's I've I've been, I've been using alternate programs. I've been, I've been using Dogpile and a few of those when I Uh do research because you get totally different responses and feedback. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because it, it just irritates me that I put specifically what I need and I get crap from Google. Yeah. Oh yeah, or yeah. Google. I get, I get. I, if you look at the content, it's slanted one way. Yeah. Well, see, Google is trying to anticipate what you want. Google is still the best search results, but they are are filtering it. And what's happened is, uh, and here's the soapbox moment. So you might want to fast forward eight moments. But social justice warriors have invaded a lot of these Silicon Valley companies, and they are dictating what they want to do. We call them the Noodle Kids, and those Noodle Kids have taken over in some cases. And so that's why you're seeing things presented the way they are, because if they don't like something, they're going to push for them to be off that platform. Uh, Yeah. And it's a private company, a private company. You have no obligation when you're on Facebook. There's no expectation of, of, uh, free speech, free speech for you. It's not a platform. Yeah. 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 It's a private company. They can set the rules however they want. So don't go on there thinking you're going to get it. They're out there. Why are they out there? Why is Facebook out there? They're out there to sell you ads and, well, and really not sell item, you ads. You're the product. Yeah. The key item is whenever you get a response, you got to figure out why you got that response. And it's, it's because somebody wanted your money that direction yep. or your support in that direction. Yeah. So, and, in you know, including us, if things get too intense, turn it off. Right. It's amazing what happens if you, you don't connect to the internet for three days. Wow. There's no chaos. There's no people. There's not some news trying to tell me how I should feel or be guilty. I have have blocked my news on every one of my channels because I don't care. I I know what I'm going to do. Number two is it doesn't really matter what I do because you don't have any say so. Yeah. I have, I have commented to both my, my, my senators, <laughs> representatives, I have yet to get a freaking response back other than thank you for your comments. Thank you for oh. your feedback. Uh, so, I get those. No. I, that's, that's a normal thing. I don't know if they ever talk to them. And I, and I know my senators know me because of some of the activities that I do, you know, charitable activities. They, they know me, but I don't get a personal response unless I'm, I'm there shaking their hand. <laughs> they don't, they don't care. 
Yeah. I, it's so. unfortunate that money is what talks. I just yeah. look at the people who own the newscasting industries, the broadcasting industries, the newspapers, the magazines. And I mean, if, if I could win that lottery, that's 970 million <laughs> or a billion dollars now. Yeah. I'd be a billionaire. I'd, I'd be, that'd be great. I'd love to play with that for a little while, but yeah. Why do you blame people who have the money for doing what they want to do? Because that's what you would do if you had the money. Yeah. Whatever well, way well, you were brought up is what you're going to proclaim. Well, the funny thing is, like, they, they keep talking about, let's let's talk about Elon Musk. And I don't know what this has to do with scuba diving. So, uh, but Well, we're, we finished know, he, 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 about 30 he, minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. So, so Elon Musk. He's now the richest person in the world. And they were interviewing me. He's like, oh, that's interesting. And then he went on to do it else. It gets to be a point where it it doesn't mean anything. It's more, it gets to be more of what can you do with the control of the assets you have? And he's already said what he wants to do. He wants to go to Mars. And, and whether you agree with him or not, you have to respect him for, here's a guy who spent a heck of a lot of time and effort to go to Mars. I mean, he could be doing something else. He could be saying, I just want to get rich. You know, I want to level the, uh, the environment and pave it into a parking lot because I think I'd like to see my name on it. No, he's, he's, he's trying to do something. Uh, I always uh, think it's interesting though, what other people think somebody who's got the billions should be doing with their money and why it's unfair. They have all that money. Uh, some people get freaking lucky. Some people win the lottery. Well, the one things that do concern me about money and extremely wealthy is that the anti-monopoly policies that we had don't had. seem to be working had, and, yeah. and that we've eliminated some of the opportunity for small business to have some opportunity because right now, uh, some of those businesses are where they are because of the advantage of scale. Oh yes, absolutely. So at some point in time, you have to decide, do we want to have 200 million unemployed people? So a hundred million uh, people who work for 40 billionaires can continue to be employed. So, But the key item is how do you make that? Because it's not just the America. I mean, we're a small little portion. Oh yeah. It, this is going on in Europe and mm -hmm. Asia and South America that you very seldom hear about because why? Well, they control everything over there. We've got, <laughs> we've got a lot more freedoms over here than what they've, what they've got. And I know it's a very American centric point of view, but I think over in Europe, the message is controlled by the elites in Europe. So you know, they, they think they're being progressive, but they may not be as progressive as they, as they are. When I see a, somebody who their, their family's had money for eight generations and they're going talking about all these, uh, um, uh, borderline communist ideas, I'm like, they're not saying that because they care about you. They're saying that because they think that's a message that lets them retain the power that they've, their families had for a long time. And right now I can't type my password in and my computer won't let me in. <laughs> <laughs> 
damn screensaver. This is an awkward item when you look at the billionaires throughout the world. And again, yeah. money talks. And if you don't believe it, well, there's something wrong with it because that's true. Well, and then why do we say that some billionaires are okay and others aren't? You know, like I like Elon Musk, but I may not like Richard Murdoch. Or Gates. Or Gates, yeah. And, he and I don't have a problem with Gates. You know, I, I don't have a problem with Gates, but I think he's a little hypocritical. You know, he, he plays off that he's, uh, uh, you know, all this benevolent stuff. And, he, and, and honestly, you know, anybody who takes the amount of money he spent and spent on charity, good for him. I appreciate it. And that he's done the, you know, I, I'm not going to give it to my family to create a dynasty. But he can't give it up. I mean, you look, and everything he touches turns to gold. He spent, you know, he he puts more into charity, but he makes the charity grow the money. I mean, that's that's just kind of the way he works. It's like you can't take some of that in ambition out of him. Uh, free enterprise. Yeah. I wonder how much of this I'm going to have to. Yeah, I wonder how much this thing I'm going to have to say I cut out that I don't really cut out. Yeah. Well, yeah. you guys come I think, I think it, Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and I, I think capitalism in, in general works well uh, because would, you know, the auto industry had been convinced that internal combustion engines are going to be the way forever and they wouldn't go to anything and they wouldn't innovate and they wouldn't change. And now Elon Musk has done things with electric cars and we're at a point where in 10 years, I think we're going to see 80% of all new vehicles are going to be electric. I mean, Ford... <laughs> is committing to the F-150 being an electric vehicle in the next five years. I saw that, but you always got to remember too, fossil fuels is what gives you electric power to charge oh, the batteries back up. So when yeah, you talk well, about yeah. pollution, and they still have not told me, what are you going to do with all the chemicals that last forever? They don't decay like radiation does. What are you going to do with all the chemicals that are just as toxic and more toxic? And the quantities humongous when you pre-process batteries, for example, and lead plates and cadmium. Well, I, I think, uh, gosh, we, we almost need a podcast for this. In the case of batteries, <laughs> I think that the minerals in the batteries are valuable in themselves and they're going to be recycled. You've seen most of the uh, lithium-ion batteries, especially in cars, are being directly recycled into other projects product when, now when, when people put them in the right place yeah yeah and uh i just saw a video today if you go to if you go to the youtube channel on tesla uh because they're recruiting for battery technicians they have a mint a video it's about a minute and a half and it shows the automation for how they make batteries that is absolutely amazing what they've been able to accomplish in automation uh but uh yeah most of your electric power because we've condemned uh, atomic power so bad is really peaker plants, which is, is fossil fuels. Yeah. So fossil fuels are what are uh, giving you power for your cars. Uh, uh, the nice thing about, uh, you know, I am a full disclosure. I do own Tesla stock and well, <laughs> I, I, I did it just because I thought it was cool. I, I, I my investment strategy is I do a, uh, S and P 500. It's a majority of my investment. And then I like to invest in companies that are being heavily shorted. And I think the shorts are wrong kind of as an F you short people. Uh, 
because they're just, because what, what I, what I see with a lot of companies with shorts, I mean, some companies deserve to be shorted because they don't have a financial standing. You know, they're just a flawed business. They're just, it's not a good idea. That's not a business. That's a speculative idea. They're poorly run. They're corrupt whatever. But, uh, every once in a while there'll be a product that I use and somebody will short it heavily and they'll pick the wrong item and go, well, it should be shorted because, you know, they do this, this X, Y, Z thing and it doesn't really matter. And I'm going, okay, I'll take that bet. And that's what I do. I'll buy the stock and I'll hold it long. And so far I've, you know, I'm three for three on that. So yeah, screw you shorts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's made money Tesla. And when I bought Tesla, I honestly thought it was too high at the time. And it's like five times higher. I, I, you know, in, in one aspect, I, I think it's too high. I'd like to buy more stock, but I'm like, I'm not buying the stock at this price. It's insane. And it's And the thing is, I know it's going to triple in the next three years. And I, you know, I, so I really should be buying more, but I don't, I mean, I've, I've made. Or well, just reinvest your premium. Your oh, I'm not, options. I'm not selling it. And even if it tanks, I'm not selling. I like what they're doing. I, I like the product. You know, the, my criticism on the cars is some things are, when I look at Elon Musk, you know, I'm not a mechanical engineer. I'm a software engineer, but the same principles can be applied mechanically. He's this, his thought process and how he approaches things is so refreshing because in the Detroit and Michigan, everybody's about preserving their own silo. You know, I, I make the transmissions and the transmissions have to be this. And if you change something else, my transmissions are no good. So I'm going to prevent you from doing this. So you've got these monolithic gigantic companies that are saying you can't change a certain process because it, it hurts somebody's fiefdom at a corporation. Uh, and Elon's like, yeah, screw that. We're just going to do it this way. And just the way he thinks and, on different processes is, is refreshing and it's been where the company's gone. So I like their, uh, their, and, and not everything he does. I mean, the thing about it, uh, gosh, we're so far off scuba diving, but the thing I like about, <laughs> <laughs> about what he does with the business is that the best ideas are from failing. You learn more from failing. So do four things that fail for one that's good. But if that thing that does good returns 20 to one, who cares about the four failures? If you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. And that's what he does. So, you know, these power walls, I mean, it, in computers, we've been doing uh, uninterruptible power supplies in the server rooms forever. Why? Because when the power goes out, I want to run. Well, he does one for your whole house. What's bad about that? Why would I buy a generator that uses fuel that I got to fuel when I can have a power wall? Because 90% of the time, the power's up within within 24 hours, you know, that's the, it's the rare occasion where I need to provide power beyond that. You know, uh, it can happen. I'm not saying don't have a generator, but the power wall is a great thing. And in some States and Michigan's not one of them, uh, you can play with net metering and, uh, time of use demand. And you actually could do pretty well with uh, a power wall and solar panels. I'm, I probably in the next 10 years, I'll have solar, solar panels on my barn roof and my house roof, you know, I'd like to not pay an electric bill. Cause once one of the thing is our economy is built on constant inflation. Well, if I produce my own power, screw that. I don't care how expensive power gets later on. 
I've got my own and I can produce enough electric for my whole family on the surface panels of the roofs I have. And, you know, and then if I have an electric car, I'm providing power for the house and for the car, no more gas bills. So. Well, I know Karen has, has panels and that's the way to go. And I would not, I, matter of fact, I was looking at, um, I, just for the fun of a look at the preppers grouping yeah, and some of their, you know, this is what you want to do if you want to be power reserve. And it's, it's really, it's quite interesting and very doable. And my freaking electric bill has gone up crazy in the last two years. Yeah. Like, just like you said, it ain't going down people. Yeah. It, it's never going to go down. And what's going to happen. I mean, you, you worked for AP. My dad worked for AP. They got to be, they got to not like this because they need that, you know, $200, $300 a month from every electric utility from power. Plus they need the grid. If you can go grid free, maybe you don't get the net metering, but I can just go, you know what? Come in here, pull the socket. I'm going to produce my own power. Screw you. Yeah. That's got to scare the heck out of them because then they got that. Then they've reduced their base instead of however many million people we have in Michigan. You know, if 10% of them are getting their own power, that really cripples uh, oh, yeah. their, their, their potential. I mean, because uh, yep. uh, AP, which is the, just a lower sliver of Michigan, but the, you know, quite a significant part of the rest of the United States, uh, they were going the way, you know, everybody's going free market where, oh, we're going to buy electricity where it's cheaper and then distribute it. They backed away from that, and they're they're going back into the regulated utility because that at least guarantees them profit. Putting mm-hmm. solar panels in your house—that's <laughs> not what they want. They they want to own the solar fields and then sell it back to you because that can increase the rate of inflation and beyond two or three percent. Oh, so yeah, I am my barn is twenty four by sixty, so I've got you know you figure half of that is, and that's a direct south facing south side. My house is uh at a 45 degree angle facing Southeast, uh, you know, about 1700 square feet. I can put solar panels on that. I want to build a new garage. I'll put solar, solar panels. So my, my plan is, oh crap, my screensaver again. Uh, I want to put solar panels on the house and on the barn, get my she own could, electric. You see Karen's comments on that. She said, go for the barn. Yeah. Hers is uh 30 by 48. Yep. I saw that. I need to investigate. Tesla pulled out of Michigan. I was on their sign-up list for solar panels, and they said, "Oh, so sorry, we're going away." Well, uh, it's because Michigan's been passing laws against uh, your own. There, there's things that economically make an incentive, and this is where no matter what party you're in, they all owe something to somebody because of how politics is funded. Yeah. So they can be the best politician to ever do everything you want. And then all of a sudden they go 180. And that's why, because they need to be in power. That's their job. I mean, if your job was, I do this and all of a sudden I risk losing my job, you know, I need the money to go and buy political ads to get me through the next election. I mean, we've seen that in our politicians here. Yeah. Uh, real lately. We're, we're, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're mostly rule. So you can guess what that is, but because of how the districts are drawn, we have a couple large municipalities, which pull a different direction. And then, so we've got politicians who are straddling it. 
oh yeah, I'm for you on issue A, but I'm on issue B. And, you know, they, they want to pretend that they're doing both constituents. They can't do it because they need, they need companies to send them money. You know, they, they need money for the ads to have a war chest to fight people coming up. <laughs> Boy, how, let's see. We're, uh, two minutes ago, we were four levels away from scuba diving. Now we're nine. <laughs> how much <laughs> we can, can start we push this? The, the only solution I see is term limits. Term limits. Honestly, term limits. I, I believe in term limits, except for my congressman. <laughs> because you always like your congressman because he brings the pork back to your district. But every other congressman, everybody other, every other <laughs> district, they suck. Mine's great. Yours isn't. <laughs> Because mine's going to get me a highway that runs See, by my house. It's going to get Yours me. Yours is going to get a highway that runs by your house, which I don't care because it's a waste of money. <laughs> no. So, which we do have a highway that's taken 40 years. So how good is he if he can't get the highway in, in 40 the last years? couple of miles, huh? Yeah. So the damn butterflies. Well, you know, where this <laughs> being done, I've, I've been shooting some photography of that. And they've got trucks out there starting to mark out a path already. Uh, they they need to. That 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 highway has been forever. So everybody doesn't know what we're talking about. We're talking about US thirty one, which you know here where we're at is thirty one. You go all the way down to Orlando and Florida, that's US thirty one. So I mean, it just goes all the way down. But when you right. get up here in the the northern areas, it'll be US thirty one, and then it'll be some ridiculous bypass that goes around everything. Uh, because it went through all the towns and went through every city. So it's it's been a long time coming. I remember in the 80s when I moved in the area, it was supposed to be finished in the next five years, and here we are 30 years later. Yeah. So, yeah, there we go. I, I think maybe we need to uh, end the torture for everybody and do a, do a scuba oh, joke. As much well, we fun only... as I'm having with this. <laughs> Oh yeah, now, if you yeah, like we this, let us we, know. We if you don't like this, us, let us we know. We should have done the scuba joke about thirty-five, well, forty-five minutes ago. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And I'm gonna say I edited it out, but it isn't. They're gonna go, wow, that was a big scuba episode. They've been talking for four hours. <laughs> so so are you ready for that time Ever of the show? Ever ready. Yeah. Okay. Uh so we have the world's leading expert on European wasps. He walks into a record shop. Yes, assistant, do you have any European Vespati Acoustic Volume 2? I believe it was released this week. Certainly, replies the assistant. Would you like to listen to it before you buy? Well, that would be wonderful, says the expert, puts on a pair of headphones. He listens for a few moments and then says to assistant, I'm terribly sorry, but the world's leading expert on European wasps, and this is not accurate at all. I don't recognize any of these sounds. Are you sure this is a correct recording? The assistant checks the turntable and replies, it is indeed the European Vestabod Acoustic Volume 2. The assistant apologizes, lifts the needle onto the next track. Again, the expert listens for a few moments and then says to the assistant, no, this can't be right. I've just been an expert in this field for 43 years, and I still don't recognize any of these sounds. The assistant apologizes again, lifts the needle to the next track. The expert throws off his headphones as soon as he starts playing and fuming with rage. This is outrageous. False advertising. I'm the world's leading expert on European wasps, and no European wasps has ever made a sound like the ones on this record. The manager shop overhears the commotion and walks over. 
What seems to be the problem, sir? This is an outrage. I'm the world's leading expert on European wasps. Nobody knows more about them than I do. There's no way that in hell that these sounds on the record were made by European wasps. The manager glances down and notices the problem instantly. Oh, I'm terribly sorry, sir. It appears we've been playing you the B-side. Okie dokie. <laughs> so not only did you listen to our rants, but you listened to the bad joke. Derek gave it four. Oh, eight. We got eight uh, crying emojis. So <laughs> there you go. I think that says it all. Until next time, yes. go out there and get wet. And stay safe and watch, listen to some of these scoop broadcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm going to have to do the... Oh, you see chest. Karen's? No. Bees. What are those? Those are bees. <laughs> oh, thank you. Six bees. You got six bees. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to... Maybe this is the episode. I'm, I'm, we're, uh, uh, there's an open podcast 2.0 index that we are going to uh, try and make sure that we're on. And we will do chapters so you can skip through all the crap that we talk about. That you don't want to do. I'm sure you edit this, don't you? Oh, highly edited. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And and I'll put this at the end of the uh, the podcast so people know. Uh, the editing I do is I edit dead airspace. Yeah. Uh, there's I I use Audacity as a tool. Uh, if there's airspace, I've got a little formula, and I'll share it with anybody. So if you make your own podcast and you want to go how you do it, I don't think I'm the best example. Uh, I'll go through and edit it out and I'll share those with you. And it's mostly for dead air. And that was an early feedback we had because we are Midwest Westerners with a very slow drawl and, uh, my us and ums and everything's can take minutes. So it's better to edit those out. Otherwise people get a little bit irate. Um, a podcast I recommend, I don't think, I don't know if I pitched this before, but it's the no agenda podcast. Uh, it's a good podcast if you're looking for, I don't call them alternate media because really what they are is they take media and they analyze what is in the media and they tell you about what it is. Um, they're not always right, but I don't think they pretend to always be right. Um, and where, where I enjoy it is when they're wrong on things that I'm an expert on and I go, you got that wrong. But, uh they have a good background. It's uh, John C. Dvorak and uh, Adam Curry host that podcast. So uh, a nice one. And oh, then see that picture. Yeah, Karen see. says I finally have my mermaid paint based on the diving picture. She did that one. 
Did you did you make that one, Karen? I like that picture. Uh huh. I do too. I just I just blew it up. I'd I'd hang that in a wall. Yeah. No, a friend of mine from the Mermaid Festival did it. They're great. When's the next Mermaid Festival? With the pandemic, I it's a, you know have, have you felt like the the pandemic has been if you put yourself on a turntable and spun yourself twenty times around and then jumped off real quick. Doesn't that feel like what everything's been? You know, I don't know where I'm at. I've got friends I've seen once in a year who I used to see every week the previous year. And whether you believe things or not, it's like, that has to piss you off. <laughs> you know, it's like, whatever the situation, whatever's caused this, I'm a little irate because I'm missing my friends. Those are some nice photos. You see, you have got... Uh, the I did the one of the room stuff. to take a look at all the... Looks like the stuff that Bob has been doing on the walls. That's what I was going to say. It was Bob's uh, 3D uh, laser cutting and layers. He does an amazing job at that. Yeah, I'm in robotic season right now, so we're doing a lot of robotic stuff. Which even that's been weird. Half virtual meetings, half physical meetings. Oh. I feel like I, if I had to do this again... I think I would have quit my job and hibernated for two years. That's about the only way I think I could have. You know, it's it. It's like not knowing the end is the only thing that kept me going. <laughs> if, if somebody, I, I've seen a few people post videos on the internet where they they talk to themselves, like they act like they're the future them coming back to the previous them, and they're like. You know, a little bit, I've seen a little bit, have you seen the commercials for hotelsgot.com? I don't. Where the guy, yeah, it's the, it's the guy, it's like, he wears the captain's uniform and he, it's kind of like he's talking Captain to obvious. himself. Captain obvious. And he's like, yeah, and I'm bald, but he, he like goes to this thing and the, like, the other one's like, what do you mean we're not traveling? <laughs> so. It's like the th you would not believe this last year if 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 somebody from the future came back to you in 2019 and told you what crap is going to come down, you would not believe it. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, and what I feel bad is every time I see an obituary, I'm like, this is when you have to die. You had to die in 2020, you know. So you spend a year in quarantine. And then you die. It's it's like it sucks. I mean, I always want to say that you leave on a high note. Who wants to leave after nine months of mostly misery? I, I keep trying to convince myself the sun comes up and that's great. But I'm still thinking this sucks because I haven't seen all my, my friends in nine months. I haven't, you know, we used to have people over. Ah. Well, I, it's, it's been a lousy time. My sister-in-law died Christmas day yeah, yeah um, it's like it sucks it, it does it, it's terrible you think of all those times you've missed yeah and you, you keep second guessing yourself like if my parents died tomorrow it's like was it worth not seeing them for the last year in the hope that they could survive this or would you rather have seen them nine months when no when nobody had something i mean you just don't know you just have no way of knowing and then you want to believe that people are doing what's in the best interest, but did they really? I don't know. I want to say yes, but maybe not. Uh, 
Original photo taken by Rick Sass. Which boat is this one? Uh, painting is available in the store soon. <laughs> that that's what the, all the all the divers on that look almost like wasps, don't they? They're like the wrecks being swarmed. Oh yeah, 2017. That's ancient. Sass has got some damn good photos out. He actually both of them. I don't know, but yeah. uh, both Rick and Mick. I used to work with uh, Mick back in yeah. the day, and yeah. uh, he does some excellent. Both of them are published in National Geographic's. Yeah, great guys, great divers. If you want to go out to, what's the Tobamori? Not Tobamori. Uh, out in the Pacific. Truck Lagoon. Truck Lagoon. Rick is one of the best people in the world. He knows everybody there. If you want to go to Truck Lagoon, look at Rick Sass. Um, and book with him. You won't be disappointed. He's a great guy. It's a great trip. I haven't done it. I'm not that rich, <laughs> but a good experience. Thank you, Derek. We hope you have a good time. I don't know if any of this will be in the podcast at the end, but maybe. <laughs>